Hey, thanks for downloading this podcast. If you want to listen live, be sure to download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Good afternoon. Welcome in. It is Fantasy Sports Today on this Wednesday, closing in on Super Bowl Sunday. Joe and Craig here with you to break it all down as Fantasy Sports Today starts now. Fantasy Sports Today. Happy Wednesday. Welcome in. Fantasy Sports Today, noon on the East, nine on the West. This is the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Craig Mish, along with Joe Pizzapia, with you here, as always, on the show. Sean Guastamacchia, Chris Pavona helping out. Our two-hour program covering it all in reality and fantasy, and, of course, uh, heading toward fantasy baseball season after the weekend. Headed toward the Super Bowl this weekend, too, and uh, lots to get to here on the show today. We certainly... We'll uh, continue to honor this week the passing of Kobe Bryant and more on that coming up in just a little bit. But I believe that we could start off the show with a little baseball discussion because there are some interesting news and notes. Uh, we'll start off with, my gosh, this would this would have been one that would have burned me so bad. And it goes to show you this is why I don't do any drafts early. This is why in general with players, I don't make any bets early. But it is so interesting because one of my friends in Vegas he uh, texted me, hey, take a look at the props. Let's go over them. Okay, fine. Now, I've never done this with him before, but he said, let's go in together and let's make a few of these uh, you know, props and tell me which one you think is the best. And I said, well, you know, the one that really jumps out at me is Eugenio Suarez's home runs. I think he's going to go over that home run total of 34. I think it is too low. I look at what he's done the last couple of years in that lineup. It's phenomenal. And we didn't do it yet. And ironically, had we done it, that could have been a direct loss uh, off a swimming pool injury. And so uh, th- these are kind of my cautionary tales that when there is uh, money involved, it is a completely different scenario than having an opinion on a player. And uh, and one of the main reasons why I like to wait as close as I can to the season. And we'll start off there today. Yeah. And uh, as far as Eugenio Suarez, for those who missed it, uh, he had surgery to remove cartilage in his right shoulder after an injury he suffered recently in a swimming pool. So I don't know if it was, it was like a water polo incident, if this was a diving off the diving board, is it picking up your kid? Or who knows? A million things. Maybe he just slipped and fell in the pool. There's a million ways you can get hurt, but uh, his physical activity is going to be limited during the beginning of spring training. They're hoping that they have him basically for the start of the season. So whether or not he's there for opening day, I don't know. We don't know yet. So you have to kind of stay tuned with that. But some of the fallout from this, certainly from, you know, just from the very top is you have to just adjust him slightly in the rankings. I don't want to go too far because until we know the extent of how long he's going to be out, baseball is a long, long, long season. Six months is a long time. A lot of people dropped Matt Olson last year when he missed the start of the season. How dumb was that in retrospect? So Suarez is the kind of power, especially in season long Roto Leagues, that if you get him a discount a couple rounds later, I would still take him. Now, head-to-head formats, this changes things a little bit. I think when you're looking at the third base position now, I think you have to realize that you're in a spot where, okay, you've still got the Arenados and that other group ahead of him anyway, the Devers and and Rendones, but I think you would move Machado past him. Uh, Chris Bryant, Yoan Moncada, I think it's right there now. I think Suarez goes right after. I would still go Suarez, 
over Matt Chapman, but I would probably lean Donaldson uh, just over him just slightly right now until we have more clarity. And this is the thing. Like, I got labor coming up next Tuesday. And you're not, you're not going to have, have clarity. I'm not going to have clarity. So, you know, it's going to be fascinating to see how that if, if that turns into a discount or if it turns into <laughs> a temptation that someone takes too early and ends up kind of biting them on the back end. Yeah, I mean, this this my my thing is always I'll always be very willing in every draft for uh, that person, as you're describing, to say, look at the discount I got on Eugenio Suarez and take that chance. Um, you know, and, and that's that's just not something that I'll do. I, I'm not that kind I'm I am very much a risk taker when it comes to these. But when it comes to and when it, by the way, when it comes to that draft specifically, you probably can do it. There's no money on the line. But anytime I have any kind of money on the line, this is not a risk that I would take as an example in a high stakes NFBC. There's just no way I wouldn't do it. Well, and think uh, about I, it this way, too, because you've also got now with Castellanos in the fold, you could potentially play him at third base. You could potentially play Senzel at second and move Mustakis to third base temporarily. So there's a lot of moving pieces here. And I think this Cassiano move makes a lot of sense because I don't think this injury happened the day Cassianos had an issue. This happened. And they probably said, oh, like, hey, look, you know, Castellanos makes a lot of sense, gives us a lot more flexibility. And they're lucky that they have people on the roster like Senzel who can play multiple positions and Mustakis. So those guys are going to fill the void temporarily. So as long as Senzel is healthy, this is an opportunity here for him to get some early at-bats potentially in the first couple weeks of the season, more than he might have gotten normally potentially. So this is almost more crucial now. April becomes more crucial, in my opinion, for Senzel. And and he could be perfectly fine, by the way. A good example of that last year was around this time, probably a week or two from now, Francisco Lindor got hurt. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. And he was at a, a discount, and that turned out to be great. But I am never going to be on that side of saying, look what happened to Lindor, and I took him, and it turned out to be great. Because for me, there's there are a lot more stories of guys that did get hurt this time of the year that we were not cautious with and ended up missing a lot more time. So I, I am avoiding injury risk. I just don't see any reason to dive. And, into and to be specific, too, I'm not a doctor and I don't play one on a podcast or on the radio, but removing loose cartilage does not sound as though it was going to be as dangerous as say he slipped in the pool and tore his labrum. Sure, you know, or you know, I, I sound yeah. that sounds like, you know, or a sprained AC joint or a lot of other things that can happen to a shoulder. I know that I've had the sprained AC joint. That thing is for real. Let me tell you about that. Uh, but I would say it feels a, more like the Lindor potential injury than something that's going to really crush him. So if you get him in it, I'm more of the mind if he comes at a, a round or two later that I would take the plunge and take the benefit of Suarez if people are a little afraid of him. Yeah, no. And, and again, um, if you had $500 in your draft and you're playing for five grand, I don't know that you would. I think in a draft like next week that you're talking about, sure. I just, I don't think that, when it comes down to high stakes leagues, it's um, it's too risky for me. But look to each his own on these situations. Um, two other names real quick to uh, end this segment on here. Uh, Mitch Moreland resigns with the Boston Red Sox one year, uh, three million. Moreland will have a chance to play quite a bit, I would guess, for Boston this year. And then the other signing from yesterday that has some fantasy relevance because Greg Holland uh, has had a lot of closing experience in the past. In my conversations about Greg Holland, there's a lot of people who feel like it's over for him and and um, not sure that he'll make any impact at all with the Royals. But he certainly uh, could possibly factor in as a seventh inning, eighth inning guy. And if something was to happen to Kennedy, maybe there's a chance that he would close. How do you see these two guys? Uh, you know, Kennedy was pretty solid in that role. I think Holland's closing days are far behind him. I think that was a couple of years ago. We bought in and gave him one more shot. So, um, but Moreland is another one too. This signing happened. A lot of people started to speculate with what that meant and people saying, oh, Chavis is going to lose time. And I was like, I don't think that's going to be the thing. I think Jose Peraza is probably the guy that's going to lose time. Um, I don't see 
Michael Chavis coming out of that lineup very often. I think he's the guy they're going to try to stick with and and see if they can grow into that everyday player that they believe he can be. And Moreland's more, you know, depth, a left-handed bat, you know, a guy who can play first base, a guy they can throw in there, DH sometimes, and, you know, someone that he's familiar with the organization, organization's familiar with him. It's a smart signing in the wake of the Pedroia injury from a depth standpoint, but I don't think it necessarily means Moreland becomes the everyday starter at first base. It's something to pay attention to in AL-only leagues, but I don't know as far as mixed leagues, I don't think Moreland's somebody that really, you know, he's got 20 home run power. I mean, that's the good thing you could say about Moreland. So in only leagues, I think that'll, you know, potentially matter in super deep formats where you're playing like a 20-team league. But I don't think Chavis is going to be the guy that gets kind of hung out to dry just because Mitch Moreland came back. All right, we'll uh, take a quick time out on Fantasy Sports today. When we return next, it's time for the opening drive. We'll cover it all. We'll cover the Super Bowl. We've got some news, of course, in the NBA and in the NFL, even aside from the game. As Fantasy Sports uh, Today continues in a couple minutes. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Then he pivots, fakes, chucks the big bomb halfway down the field to our hopefully still wide open tailback. I call it Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish and Joe Pizzapia. Fantasy Sports Today presents First play from scrimmage The opening drive The first play of the game Caught the opening play And all the way for a touchdown And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today It's the opening drive here on January 29th Closing on the end of January 2020 Here we go, the year is already underway We're off and running Headed toward the spring, but we're still in the midst of it. We're headed toward the Super Bowl Sunday. Fantasy baseball season officially kicks off this coming Monday. But, of course, uh, we're still in the midst of the tragedy that is the passing of Kobe Bryant. No game played yesterday between the Los Angeles Lakers and Los Angeles Clippers. But, boy, there were some emotions flowing from that yesterday on TNT. The crew went to the uh, to the Staples Center, and uh, including Shaquille O'Neal, Charles Barkley, Kenny Smith, Ernie Johnson, Dwayne Wade, all of them just sitting on the court telling stories. Uh, Jerry West there as well. We'll get to him in a second. But of all the things that I've seen so far, and there have been a lot, I, I mean, I think Shaquille O'Neal top, may have topped them all with just basically flat out sobbing, uh, full of regret, saying that he hadn't talked to Kobe Bryant personally since uh, his last game a few years ago. And man, it was just a really hard four minutes to watch with him yesterday just seeing that pain and, and feeling that pain that he had and so uh, you know certainly the story continues today I feel like um, you know we we're moving a little bit uh, away from it but you know it's uh, it, that was that was one of the tougher things that I saw yesterday there Joe yeah I saw it it's something about the big man crying you know that always gets you it's uh, I don't know my, <laughs> it's an old standby but it's true and uh, you could tell it was real emotions there and they had a complicated relationship over time um, but there was certainly a, a nice moment. I, I think it's always important to for men to be able to show their emotions about things. And, and this whole thing like you know, that men have emotion is somehow a weakness. I think it's just such a such a giant fallacy. It's so stupid, you know, and, and I think it's good that, you know, Shaquille O'Neal is out there and a lot of other strong male figures are out there showing emotion when things happen. I think it's very important for other men to see it and realize that it's OK to do that. 
And I think as men, typically, we tend to not do that because, well, we got to stay strong for this and that. No, that's that's not strong. That's that's denial. There's a big difference between those things. I actually was even more moved by the uh, young female sports center anchor who talked about her experience with Kobe Bryant and uh, the fact she was pregnant at the time and he were talking and he was talking about his daughters and and being the girl dad. And that one kind of hit me more than even the Shaquille Neal one because I am a girl dad. I got two daughters. I can't imagine having sons. I just I just can't. Um, there's something about having daughters. It's very unique and that relationship. And I understand that relationship very, very well, being the stay at home dad with them uh, for the last decade. So let me tell you, that was that was a, a, a two minutes or three minute emotional tribute there that I thought was just just beautiful. And uh, it's a lot. It, that's the you know, there's something to take out of this, too. It's nice to see everybody coming together and having some feelings all together about the same thing for a change in this country, which is, I think, desperately needed. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been. I mean, the biggest story I can ever remember, honestly, in sports. I mean, it's really gotten to that point. Uh, well, it's funny. We, You know, the Jose Fernandez thing is the last thing that I remember where we were just like a shocking tragedy. But yeah. he wasn't, you know, Jose Fernandez wasn't the household name, didn't have the legendary career yet. He was the player on the rise. He was, a, you know, he was the bright, shining young star. I don't ever remember a guy like this that was, you know, basically just retired recently and, and such a huge star, you know, being gone in such a tragic way. And and when you just, it's compounding it with the kids involved. That's That's where it gets really upsetting. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it, it happened in South Florida. So yeah, the Fernandez story was just a huge one here. Um, Do you remember I texted you? I was on air at the time on this very network. I was on air hosting a football show with Scott Engel, and I saw it break, and I thought it was a hoax thing because you know how many there are. And who did I text? My pal Craig Mish, because I knew if anybody knew for sure whether or not this is something I should talk about, it was Craig Mish. And the, sure enough, you said, "Yep, it's true." More to come on it, but yes, you can you can yeah, go ahead with it. It's true. But you yeah, were the guy I went to. I remember that. I'll never forget it. All right. Well, uh, I'm good for something then. Um, ah, yeah, I like to keep you around once in a while. That was, uh, yeah, that was, you know, honestly similar to this, but I even feel like the Kobe thing is bigger. And oh, then, huge. Much And then, and then of course, the, the postscript on the Fernandez story didn't go as well as, as people would have hoped with him testing positive for drugs and, you know, two other uh, you know, people dying with potentially, allegedly, him at the wheel, whether or not that really happened. There was uh, an Indian know, situation, but, too, in, in the, was it the early 90s, late 80s, remember, with Bobby Ojeda and Olin and... And those guys on the boat, oh, too. Yeah, I mean, look, Roy Halladay dying was huge, too. I mean, like that all these, yeah, I mean, these things have all happened, but I, I still think that this nobody had the stature of Kobe. Sports, I yeah, would agree. Sure. Um, Jerry West on, on TNT last night broke some news saying that basically when Kobe was considering free agency and considering leaving, he had picked the L.A. Clippers and was going to leave. And Jerry West said that he would not let Kobe play for that owner. And they ended up working things out and he stayed uh, with the, with the uh, Lakers. But boy, that would have changed history, Joe. I mean, that, that's. I mean, that was out of nowhere last night. Never. And he didn't want him to play for that owner because he knew that owner's history. Is that part of it? Because at the time, remember remember how that all played out? Yep, yep, yep. I suppose so. But boy, can you imagine Kobe would have left to be a Clipper? Wow. I mean, that that would have been. Well, I mean, we saw Roger Clemens and Wade Boggs become Yankees. I never thought I would ever see that in my life. So I guess anything's possible in sports nowadays. But that certainly would have been a different uh, story to tell. And if he had taken the Clippers to a championship, that would have been an incredible thing to see, too. Uh, Because Wade Boggs and, and Roger Clemens won rings with the Yankees, didn't they? You know, didn't win rings with the Red Sox, but they did win with the Yankees. So yeah. that would have been something else, man. You know, it's 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 tough to be that second team when you're, you know, I know I'm a Mets fan, so I, I get it. You know, but the Clippers are, you know, even worse in that scenario to be in the shadow of the Lakers. That's that can't be easy, man. That just cannot be an easy. Uh, do you know a Clippers fan? Do you know any? Billy Crystal? Is he a Clippers fan? Yeah, he's always been a huge Clippers fan. Yeah. Really? Why? I don't know. He's, he's always from been New a York. Huge... <laughs> he's <laughs> I a think huge... He'd be a Knicks fan. I don't know. He's a huge Clippers fan. Hilarious. Yeah. Oh, look, they got Kawhi now, so it's a little bit different. But well, uh, yeah, now, the, 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 yeah, I'm talking about like you know, 
pretty much they, every time. But pretty now. much ever. Yeah, they had a run yeah. of about two years that they had. You know, Mark Jackson was there, I think. Anyway, uh, okay, so over to uh, third down here. Dusty Baker looks like he is the manager of the Houston Astros. They're supposedly, uh, Bob Nightingale was the first one to report that. They're supposedly finalizing this uh, today. And this is kind of a plug-and-play situation, if there was any. And Dusty Baker, really the perfect guy to handle this. I don't know that Dusty Baker will be the manager of the Astros in three years, but he certainly feels like the right guy at least to take over now and just put those guys on the field and say go. That's basically the way that I look at this. I, I think this was the right move. Uh, Bob Nightingale wrote a piece about why. I don't know if you caught that article or not, but it was a good read about why Dusty Baker is the right guy. And I, and I think he is. I think they're going to absorb this. And like everything else, news cycles are going to end. It's going to be a hot topic again in the spring. And that by the time we drag into opening day, it'll be a hot topic. And then every time the Astros go somewhere, the first game of a series, it'll be a topic. And then by the time you turn the page into Memorial Day, I think it's going to be a distant memory and no one's going to care if they are 15 games in first place. And just nobody's going to care. And this is a great opportunity. I don't think Dusty wants to be the manager in two years at Houston. I think Dusty wants to get in there with a good team, get one shot finally, <laughs> get in that brass ring as a manager. And I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for him. I'm rooting for the Astros. I want them to, you know, it's, it's unpopular. But I want them to just remind everybody that baseball is a lot harder than just knowing what pitch is coming. And, and it's kind of like the same thing where people don't understand how steroids work. They think, oh, I shoot myself with steroids and I become a great hitter. No, you you take the steroids, you work out like a fiend in an incredible workout schedule, day in, day out, sometimes two or three times a day, you're lifting and doing other things and you're cycling these things in your body. And then you're going out there and you're taking enormous amounts of BP and you're working like Barry Bonds worked his ass off every day. And, you know, it's not like a magical thing. And, you know, I think everything oversimplifies some of these some of these things, too. And it's it's the own player's fault for the temptations and giving into them. <clears throat> but let's not let's not fool ourselves. And all of a sudden, just because, you know, a pitch is coming that makes you good at baseball because it doesn't. But I'm happy for Dusty. Are you happy for Dusty? Yeah, I mean, I've always liked him and got along with him well. So I hope he succeeds. But it, it feels like a short term fix. But well yeah. deserved. I mean, he did, I'm a toothpick guy. Good He's a toothpick guy. Right. I, I root for him. I like the two things. All right, in uh, we got about a minute here. The Saints, according to reports from uh, CBS, uh, they want Taysom Hill to be their quarterback in two years. So, uh, Joe, this would appear to either be the end of Breeze in New Orleans this year, or uh, maybe Drew Brees retires before this year. I'm not really sure, but interesting story to come out from the organization before Breeze even makes his decision. I'll say that much. Well, here's my question: What if Breeze isn't the quarterback next year? Who's the quarterback? Taysom Hill. Become, yeah. it, well, do you want him to succeed in two years? <laughs> or do they want him to, you know, do they do they have a program? He's on the, he's on the two-year track. Is he getting his associate's degree? Like, what what is this? Like, is he ready next year to take over if he has to? I'll tell you this. You're going to all you're going to start to see more of these gimmicky offenses in the NFL. But I, I, you know, there's only one Lamar Jackson. As fun as Taysom Hill is, as much of a, a fun athlete as he is, and as great of an offensive mind as Sean Payton is, and I'm sure they're going to win with him, I think I just want to caution everybody. There's only one Lamar Jackson. So, you know, the Joe Burrows of the world will, you know, the two is will still be the kind of quarterbacks that you're going to want in order to have long-term success in the NFL. All right. With that, we'll take a timeout on fantasy sports today. We'll come back next. The league of alternative baseball reality draft. The online version is next week. And Joe is participating in that. We'll go over some of his early pregame strategy. We return next on fantasy sports today. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish and Joe Pizzapia. 
Welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. It is Craig Mish along with Joe Pizzapia with you here on the show. And uh, man, it has been a tough week for sports, losing Kobe Bryant. Uh, also want to mention uh, Chris Dolman, a Hall of Famer from the Minnesota Vikings, passed away uh, at least last night or yesterday. And uh, certainly our condolences to him. A great player with the Vikings and another player to be honored this weekend. Uh, a Hall of Famer, they'll induct new people. Not induct, but they'll name new people to the Hall of Fame coming up this weekend. And Dolman is somebody that I had a chance to meet and certainly uh, just a horrible week for deaths. There's no question about that. And um, hopefully his passing doesn't get overshadowed because another great, great player in the NFL. Yeah, All right, tremendous so, talent. Tremendous yeah. talent. That doesn't He played on that same line with John Randall, and I don't think people realize – just how good those two guys were sometimes I mean, they just wrecked games you know just absolutely wrecked games and they were part of a an, an era in the nfc too where they were going against some juggernaut giants and juggernaut um 49ers teams so there was not an easy era you know you kind of got lost in the shuffle a little bit in the nfc and the bears too and that time too those uh, mid to late 80s bears were very good so it was a tough tough place for them to play and my goodness what a great career dolman had yeah. and very sad, you know, again, these are players from our childhood and that's, you know, makes us old here. I'm not mistaken, who had a direct relationship company here at Sports Grid. I believe he did, um, you know, things with Sports Grid a couple of years ago. So yeah, Mike Cardano um, did know, you yep. know, certainly want to acknowledge him today here on the show. He was suffering, he was suffering from uh, a, a cancer in some way. So uh, rest in peace to him. Uh, okay, so the League of Alternative Baseball Reality uh, auctions are coming up the last week of February, first week in March. They have yet to announce all of them. The American League they've announced, the National League they've announced. They haven't announced the Mixed League draft, which is going to be a Sunday that I will be participating in. So that will be, I, I believe, my only live auction draft of 2020. I'm fairly certain on that. So I'll be there uh, on that Sunday drafting that weekend. But uh, Labor also does a really good job of, of putting t- things together for people who can't make it. And doing those online drafts is one way to get involved. And Joe, you are in this next week. It is uh, going to be very interesting to see how people look at the 2020 season. To me, it's one of the key beginnings in the industry draft. Uh, it gives us some good talking points for a couple of weeks. I don't usually use it as the barometer because so many things happen. It's like basically two months until the season starts. But it's a good way to start to see what yourself and some other people are thinking. Uh, so how do you prepare for this? Like you do so much prep by doing your uh, fantasy black book that I would guess that you could just pop in and just draft and not really need to do anything. But is is there a certain way that you normally prep for these sort of things or is it just plug and play, grab the book and go? Like, how, how do you do? Well, it? I'm, I'll definitely have the black book by my side. But, you know, it's you know, the player pool. The difference is you're trying to prepare for the owner pool. And that's very different when you're in a draft with Steve Gardner and Rudy Gamble and Paul Sporer and all these other you know great people who are in this draft with me here. And Fred Zinke's back in it, who hasn't been in a while. Zinke's one of the toughest uh, competitors there is. Steinhorn won it last year. So, I mean, this is there's no outs. There's no easy outs here. So it all becomes a matter of philosophical choices. And um, these people do this for a living. You got the HQ boys in there. It's, it's just, it's a fantastic group of people. And full disclosure, last year was my first year in labor. Uh, if you're not first, you're last. Uh, I had the first overall pick and I finished last. Everything I touched turned to crap last year. I had the Severino injury. I had uh, the Snell injury. I had everybody got hurt. Everything fell to crap. I had Mike Trout. And then in desperation, I ended up trying to deal Trout just so I could try to somehow make up some ground and and not finish last. And it didn't matter because the guys that I got for Trout got hurt. So sometimes you eat the bear 
Sometimes the bear eats you and I need to make a better showing this year. This year I am in the seventh spot and I actually was looking back at what Steve Gardner did at FSGA, which I thought was very interesting because I think to a certain extent that is a no offense to the people in it, but it's a bit of an easier room than this room. This room is, I, I think, just not not the one isn't sharp. This one's just like a knife, this room. So it's a very difficult group. Like I said, there's no outs. There's no easy. There's no cake. None of it. So I'm really intrigued by what Steve did by taking Garrett Cole first because he went hitters for his next four picks and basically got Arenado, Baez, Stanton. Everything that could have possibly fell to him properly fell to him in the middle of that draft, and he took advantage of it. And I think he did a fantastic job, and I think he had everything you want, which is to – have a, a primetime pitcher with huge strikeouts, the best arguable pitcher on the board. And then on top of that, have an enormous amount of power. I don't think Cole is going to make it to me in, in the seventh spot. I'm, I am, okay. would be very oh, so, surprised. Okay. So, so, yeah, so that's like yeah. the, kind of the, the key is that you know, Cole for a lot of people is the first pitcher off the board. And at least in the, a lot of the mocks and the NFBC ones that I'm seeing is that people are very hesitant if it's not Cole to take any pitcher in the spot that you're drafting in seven and even on the wraparound. So DeGrom, you, you can make the case for because of the consistency. The problem is the win total because the Mets historically have not scored runs for him. It's, it's yeah. Why? I mean, that's just why so I don't know, Craig. Them. I like to, cause I, I like punishment. I watched the Mets my whole life. So this is, this is what happens to me, but he's the only other guy. I think you can feel really good about because he doesn't have the age of Verlander or the miles of Scherzer. He doesn't have the injury history of, say, Steven Strasburg. So DeGrom is the other guy you can make that case for. But I'll tell you what, the other way to go for me is to take Lindor there. And I've I've spent the last couple of days kind of doing this and going back and forth on who to take first. And I think the the argument is either you take Cole and then you take three to four rounds of, of whatever the best hitting that comes back to you, or you take Lindor. And you do what I usually do, which is take the first three or four rounds of, of hitting, then then try to double up or take a couple pitchers in a row and try to go with more bodies as opposed to just the one elite pitcher, which in a way mitigates a lot of risk. Because when you lose that one big pitcher, you know, if you draft that one big pitcher, you kind of have to back it up. Yeah, if you course. don't back it up soon enough, basically all you're doing is you're marginalizing all the good work that that one pitcher does. So, go, so going into this draft season, are, are there... Like I, I know already. Well, I don't know right now because you know I have time. But I know that going into drafts, I'm going to end up with like the same guy in every draft. Um, like I always do. Like I'll, I'll have a few of my favorite guys. Sure. Are are there some of your favorite guys that you can guarantee that you're going to end up with? I can't get. That's the hardest thing about this room, and I learned it last year. Is you can't guarantee it. I had a very tough decision to make last year, and I made the wrong one. Where. I, I should have doubled up again in the first round and uh, the second, third round loop on either hitting or pitching. And I split and that was the bad decision to make. Had I gone back to back with pitching or back to back with hitting, I think I would have been in a better scenario because it's, a, and I just kind of, I thought I might be able to get the bargains back to me and it didn't happen. And that's a learning curve. And I've been in these other expert drafts, but this one in particular, you know, I don't know. It's cause we're all not in the same room and everybody has real silence to really concentrate and really get everything hundred percent. Right. They do. So for me, when I'm looking at this right now, the way I look at the board is there is a really good group. And I know in the second hour, we're going to talk about these guys of, of guys that can be aces that aren't going at the Bieber Clevenger. See, that's, that's the, those are the guys as good as they were last year, Bieber, Clevenger, Strasburg, they're all terrific, but how much more terrific than were they than Charlie Morton 
How much more terrific were they than Luis Castillo? Marginally. So I don't see the need to pass on Bryce Harper to get Mike Clevenger in my rotation in the second round. That was something I won't do. I've been using, I don't know if you've used this tool at all, but on Fantasy Pros, they have a great uh, mock draft wizard, which basically you could plug in all this, where you want to pick, what the format is, what the roster is, all this stuff, and it generates, you know, you could just do it over and over again. And I highly recommend that because what it teaches you to do is it shows you the different cores and the different ADPs and how you want to build your team. And I did about probably a dozen of them last night, like first five, six rounds. And looking at it, I I can tell you it's starting off with Lindor, attacking that hitting really hard, then going to these secondary pitchers and having a staff that looks like Eduardo Rodriguez and Woodruff and and Montas and those kind of guys just getting a bunch of those dudes in like rounds Mm -hmm. four, five, six, seven, or... Mm-hmm. It's starting off with Cole and going very heavy hitting, starting off with Harper or Judge or somebody like that in the second round. Uh, and then, you know, or maybe a Devers if he makes it to me and then continuing on stolen bases is the interesting one, too, because the threshold there for stolen bases, you got to be near 100 or so to be competitive. And it's very difficult because there's no prolific guys. And th- I think there's a far less of even those guys that you would say are the the specialists who, you know, with the D Gordon yeah, who stole that, 60 bases, those guys that. don't exist anymore. Yeah. That's, that's a really good point because in years past, and let's go back maybe like two years, right? Like mm-hmm. at this time of the year, Jared Dyson, Rajai Davis, Billy Hamilton, they're in, they're signing with somebody right now. Like, the, right. like those are the free agents. I mean, those guys are all done. So, I mean, not on teams at all. So it's, you know, that that is a good point because there are always those guys that you could take later in the draft and say, oh, you know, and, and the narrative would be for somebody who's uh, breaking it down. Well, you know, I took Rajai Davis. I understand he's not who he was, but he's on the fill in the blank Mets. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I think I'm still good for 15, 20 steals. And you know what? You'd probably be right, because even if he doesn't play a lot in the first half, he gets traded to a team and then runs. There are not a lot of those nope. guys though, this year. Yeah, there, there's none of them. And, and this is my argument against taking the Trey Turners at seven is I can take Lindor, who's going to steal probably 10, you know, 33 bases or somewhere around there, right? Something in the low 30s. He's going to hit for average. He's going to hit for power. He's going to drive. He's going to do everything, right? Right, for sure. Where and, and I'm giving up 15 steals to Trey Turner, but look at all the pluses I'm getting, not to mention the batting average too, right? And if I take Lindor there, I'm already 30 deep into that. So all I've got to do is figure out a way to get another 50, 60 stolen bases. And I can spread that out with guys who, you know, will pick up eight here and there, you know, and I think that's it's almost more important that if you're looking for tiebreakers or players, you know, maybe you, you give up a little batting average and look for the stolen base here and there a little bit more this year. And I think that's something that they really, you know, the guys who just have 10 or, you know, or eight stolen bases when the season is over. I think those are the guys you have to pay more attention to than necessarily the guys who are stealing 30 because those guys are going to go all flying off the board real soon. The Martes will be gone early. The Tatises will be gone early. The Trey Turners will be gone early. It's the other guys, the the guys who will get you 15 that I think really you have to pay a lot of attention to. And if you snap them up at the right time, I think you can make up that deficit in a much more responsible manner. We'll take a quick time out on Fantasy Sports today. When we come back, it's time to play a little game of high-low. Average draft position in 2020. Players that are being drafted in the formats right now, where will they be in a month and a half from now? It's a good question. We'll see if we have the answers next.
sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish and Joe Pizzapia. And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. Craig and Joe here with you as we close out the month of January. February tends to be a very heavy draft month for fantasy baseball. I always like to hit that Super Bowl and then turn the page. I think most people feel in the uh, fantasy industry that that's really when it begins. Is uh, you know a lot of discussion about the Super Bowl on Monday. And then it's uh, a month and a half of fantasy baseball drafting with the Major League Baseball season starting in late March. And so that's the way that I've always approached it through the years. We have some of the expert drafts as we mentioned in the previous segment, the labor uh, draft and then the tout wars draft is coming up in uh, in February. And then, of course, a lot of the auctions in the experts leagues as well. So I'll be participating in as much as I can this year. Unfortunately for me uh, in the I'm, I'm participating in tout wars, but I'm doing in the draft and hold league this year. I was unable to go to New York for the first time in I feel like it's been like seven or eight years. My uh, my nephew's having a bar mitzvah, Joe, and I just I, I it's becoming was, a man. There was no there was no getting there. Nope. And they, the Tout Wars tried to accommodate me and help me, but it just was not able to happen. And so hopefully I'll be back uh, auctioning live next year. But it'll be a nice little thing that, to do labor. I've never done labor before. So this will be my first time in that. Uh, and I'll have to make some decisions now over in the NFBC. They're drafting already the high stakes leagues. And these are the leagues that I go by average draft position and honestly, not anything else. And people always ask, well, why? Well, because I believe that you can certainly have good opinions on players and you certainly can be an excellent drafter and play for no money. I'm not saying that you can't, but when you're about to click that draft button and you know that you put 500 bucks or a thousand bucks and a lot of these NFBC drafts are like that, then there's a different story. It's not as easy to click on that shiny rookie in the seventh round as it is in a draft where it really doesn't matter. And you go on the air somewhere and say, oh, I literally like the guy. A lot different when your money is there, just like betting. Completely different to say that you like a team. Another thing to actually bet it. So I feel strongly about this ADP at this stage of the game. And I want to go through some of the names in the 200s in terms of ADP from 200 to 300. And so the questions will be simply very much to Joe. And then I'll weigh in on my opinion. Will this player be going higher in March? Meaning, will he be moved up into, let's say, 150, 100 range? Or will he be a player that may not even get taken in a 12-team mixed league? Because that's kind of where we're on the border here from 200 to 300. So let's get started. And we'll start off with a rookie who's being drafted at number 206 overall in NFBC leagues. And he is Joe Adele of the Los Angeles Angels, Joe. Do you think that Joe Adele, by the time that spring training has come around and potentially been gone, that Adele will go higher, lower, or will be about the same? And I will throw in this caveat. There are a few players that always you could look at spring numbers and know that there will be some helium there. I think Adele has a chance to be one of those players, Joe. If he hits a lot in the spring, he could be moving up significantly. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Uh, he missed the, the beginning of last season with an injury, the hamstring and ankle injury. So uh, that unfortunately he lost a significant amount of time. He only played 76 games in the minors, but uh, in the black book, uh, our boy, the Welsh from in this league on this network, he um, did a whole AFL write up. So he's got the top 10 guys from the AFL and Joe Adele is one of the profiles in here because he got to watch him play and he actually interviewed him and talked to him. And he said the confidence on Adele right now is just through the roof. He said their injuries really slowed him. He only played like about the equivalent of about half a season last year. But in the AFL, he started to look like himself. He had three home runs, three steals. Um, he's he's a guy that obviously has phenomenal upside. He is still just 21 years old. I do believe the ADP will get higher. However, I think it's going to take a really 
strong six weeks in the minor leagues to get a call up into, you know, before Memorial Day. I really do. Like he's really going to have to, I think, come out guns a blazing because to be frank, he really hasn't spent a lot of time at AAA. 27 games at AAA is not a lot. And he had just a 676 OPS there. So as far as I'm concerned, it would be smart for him to get a half a season at AAA. And in my opinion, once this ADP starts to rise a little bit too much, I will be out on Joe Adele in that scenario. In keeper leagues and dynasty leagues, totally different. I think he should be pretty aggressive on him, especially in startups, because I do believe that he is a very good young player. I do believe he's going to be a contributor and somebody that you're going to want on your roster. But at the same time, in 2020 redraft leagues, I think you have to look for a player who's more likely to play 80 games than he is 120 with the big club this year. All right, so uh, we'll start off there with Joe Adele. Now let's go to uh, some more predictability here, and let's touch on one closer. Potential closer, I should say. I shouldn't even say closer. That's not fair. Uh, Giovanni Gallegos of the St. Louis Cardinals, who you could make the case last year was the Cardinals' best reliever. I mean, you really could make the case that he was their best guy. Uh, Hicks got hurt. They used Carlos Martinez in that spot. Andrew Miller at this stage doesn't look like Andrew Miller from a few years ago. It looks like he slipped a little bit. Last year was that first year where he looked like he was touchable. His dude was untouchable for a long time. Uh Gallegos, I mean, him being the closer has to kind of sort itself out, I think, a little bit, too. But do you think, Joe, that he will go higher? Will he go lower? Or do you think this is about where he'll be in March? I think this is about where he'll be unless the only thing that could change this is a Carlos Martinez injury, which I don't know if you're familiar, but apparently those happen from time to time. Uh, Look, I think Martinez really and you and I both know, too, the best reliever doesn't always close. That's not necessarily what Major League Baseball teams have come to. So I do believe that this is a guy who will has the potential to pill for some saves. And the very least, like you said, is going to give you good ratios. If you, if holds and, and all that, if you actually get rewarded with some of these eighth inning guys and some of your league formats, then he's definitely a guy who should be on your radar. And in that kind of a format, I think he's a, a sub 200 ADP guy. He's a 212 right now in NFBC. But in my opinion, I still think Martinez's best role to stay healthy, the most effective one, the one where he makes the most sense for everybody. I don't care if he doesn't want to do it necessarily. It's closing. And I said it last year here when I was in the summer with you. And when he came back, I said he should be closing. It's the best thing to do because you can basically manage everything about that scenario. How many days a week he pitches, when he gets up, when he doesn't, not overworking him three days in a row, four days in a row. But Gallegos is definitely a guy to keep in mind, too, because of the injury history. So if you're in a deeper league, it might be worthy of a handcuff. I don't like to do that, but that might be one of these scenarios where if you're going to take a bullpen, you take Gallegos and Martinez. Yeah, I don't think Martinez is going to close this year. Um, the only way that I would see now you really do, you really think he's going to end up back in that rotation? Yes, mm-hmm. wow. absolutely. Yeah, and, and and part of the reason also is that it's out of need. The Cardinals aren't as deep as they normally have been with starting pitching, and and also is there a better organization at finding these random closers than St. Louis over the last twenty years? It is incredible. I, I could go back and ask. Well, you, yeah, give the, me the, the the Rays, <laughs> the Rays have been look. The Rays have been fantastic, also, absolutely. But St. Louis, Kyle Farnsworth. <laughs> I mean, how about St. Louis? I mean, who, who's closed games for them in the last 20 years? No. Uh, o has closed games for them. Trevor Rosenthal has closed uh, right. games for them. Uh-huh. Um, I'm going to give you some. Give you a couple off the top of your head. Yeah, go ahead. Edward Mujica. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> he was fantastic with them. Guess who else was fit? Ryan Franklin. Fantastic. Ryan Franklin. Amazing. Like, yeah, they, they, no. they find these guys and they stick them in the ninth. I mean, Hicks has been there. Um, I know that they tried with Gregerson. That didn't work. So who's out of this rotation? Jason Mott, Mott, right? Jason Mott? It's not. Yeah, it, it, Jason Mott. Yeah, that's another one. It, it's not Michaelis. It's not Hudson. It's not Wainwright. Is it Kim? Is that the guy you bounced? The lone lefty in that rotation? But who, I think I, it's a, who are we missing in the five? Flaherty. I'm not considering oh, no, him in this no, discussion. Yeah, so yeah, it's Michaelis, no. Hudson, Wainwright, and Kim. 
I don't think you're taking that. I don't think you're yeah, bouncing the I one lefty. It, yeah, yeah, I think it's Kim. Yeah, I think they'll use Kim in the bullpen. You're going to go with five right-handed pitchers. That's, oof. Yeah. Yikes. I don't know, man. That's dicey. Not have one lefty in the rotation, just one. I, I mean, know, I, may, I may I may also have a little insight on, on, on Carlos Martinez as opposed to some others. This is coming from. Well, I'm sure he wants to. I mean, let's let's remember Jabba Chamberlain wanted to start. Let's remember Eric Gagne tried to start. Let's remember Rysel Iglesias tried to start. Let's, let's remember a lot of these guys who were starters who closed and got successful, then wanted to go back to the rotation, failed miserably. So I get it. I understand. Well, let's not pretend like this is not something we've seen. Uh, time I think and time there's, again. A, oh, there's certainly a chance of that. But the other part of this, too, is that when the general manager and president comes out a week ago and says he's going into camp and he's going to be a starter. I mean, usually those guys, when they say something publicly, it's not a lie. So oh, I'm sure they're going to try to work him as a starter. And I'm sure that if it may not work, it may not go, work. Carlos, look, you know, we tried. The best thing to do is to go back into, you know, did a role because, you know, that's the best way to help the team and the best way for you to make money someday, son. That's that's what you do. That's how you sell. Him, well, right? He's making a, a fortune. That's part of it, too. I think that's why he has to be a starter. But all right. Uh, Francisco Mejia. Boy, this guy was a lot higher over the last couple of years, <laughs> a lot more highly touted. Everyone was saying, oh, the bat is a guarantee. Maybe his defense is OK. I mean, look, there certainly is a chance that Mejia takes that next step and catching is more or less always a wasteland in fantasy. So will there be some that like him more, Joe? And will he move up by the time the season starts? Will he move down when people realize, ugh, forget the catching position? Or do you think he just basically stays the same? Uh, I think there's even potential for him to move down. Uh, Mejia is a guy that we were all sold on when he was in the Cleveland organization. And it was exciting. You know, the bat looked good and that just it just didn't happen. And then he got traded and. You know, switching and catchers don't grow on trees. So when you get one that you're excited about, they can hit. That's that's what you want. And I understand he's still relatively young, but they've also got hedges there too. So how much playing time, especially when you're talking about hedges probably being the better defensive catcher, that's my problem is like what happens to the playing time? And, you know, is he going to play 90 games and hedges plays the rest? I, I don't know, but it's, it's not a situation that I'm excited about in fantasy. I'm one of those guys that got, you know, took some shares of Mejia on the back end for a couple of years trying to see if we could get some out of him, and I haven't. So I've given him enough chances. If he pops off on another team, I'm at peace with that, but I'm actually going to pass on Mejia. Do you think he's a guy that could actually finally break out this year? Oh, man. Um, it's a tough sell, man. He just he just hasn't shown enough to get me super excited about him, but every single prospect analyst has basically said that at some point he's going to start to hit. He did hit eight home runs in 80 games and he's not going to play 160. But if no, you know, if I had to, if I had to guess his numbers probably be on the high end, 15 home runs, 50 runs driven in 270 uh, batting average, 330 on base, which is probably, you know, a, a, you know, the back end catcher to, to own, you know, like not terrible, not great, but I just I, worry I just, about the games played with a young pitching staff that you're going to want to get the better. He's defensive not a, he's catcher not a great defensive catcher. Nope. Yeah, he's not, not, a a, not a good defensive catcher either. I don't know if we can even a, say that. Such a small guy, too. Anyway. All right. Hey, uh, what's wrong with being a smay? What's the matter with that? Listen, you're not a giant. No, What's exactly. Time, when, the guys, oh, when I see yeah. the guys that are my height, I get worried. <laughs> okay, uh, Cole Hamels, uh, his his uh, farewell tour is is, is underway here. Uh, Cole <laughs> he's, Hamels, he's where is Cole Hamels these days? Atlanta. What is he doing? He's is he Atlanta. Okay. Uh, so he Cole Hamels, so Cole Hamels from Philly, poison. Texas to the Cubs, now to uh, the Atlanta Braves. You know exactly what you're getting with Cole Hamels. I think. I mean, at the end of the season, barring an injury, it's ERA pushing four, probably, uh, probably a strikeout per nine. The defense for Atlanta is pretty good. He's not a sexy name at all, which is why he's 251 in the ADP, Joe. I mean, that's it. He's just not a sexy name in fantasy. But you probably know what you're getting in some reliability. Will he go higher, lower, or is he just blah, stays the same? 
Oh, man, this is a tough one because Hamels has Hamels had a really good career. I think when right. you look back at Cole Hamels, you could well, really say, man, yeah, I, I think it's a career that kind of sneaks up on you in a way. And he's been a guy traditionally that I've always liked to own. But it's it's no denying the fact that he's older. There's no denying the fact that the splits have not been great. I have a hard time believing the ADP goes higher than this. The only way it might go higher is on name recognition. But here's the thing. Last year, and actually the year before, too, in Wrigley Field, he was very good. Last year, he had a 278 ERA in Wrigley yeah. Field. You know what his road ERA was? No. 506. Oh, that's not good. So when you leave a situation in a ballpark, now, the irony is it was like the inverse. He was terrible in Arlington when he was a Texas Ranger. It was basically the inverse, where he got a 5 ERA uh, in Texas at home, and then everywhere else he was fine. He had like a 3 ERA and was much more manageable. So... I don't know what the splits are. I think the ADP kind of stays the same. Maybe it travels up a little bit just because of the name recognition. And that does happen, and there's nothing wrong with that. At least you know in terms of durability, Cole Hamels will show up and make a start every fifth day for the most part. And that's something, at least in this day and age of baseball, you should still value. All right, and we'll take a quick timeout. When we come back next, it's the best of the first hour of Fantasy Sports Today. And then we'll be back with hour number two right after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish and Joe Pizzapia. Welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. As we wrap up the first hour of the show, here's what you missed. Is there a certain way that you normally prep for these sort of things, or is it just plug and play, grab the book and go? Like, how, how do you do it? Well, I'm, I'll definitely have the black book by my side, but you know, it's you know the player pool. The difference is you're trying to prepare for the owner pool, and that's very different. When you're in a draft with Steve Gardner and Rudy Gamble, and Paul Sporer and all these other you know great people who are in this draft with me here. And Fred Zinke's back in it, who hasn't been in a while. Zinke's one of the toughest uh, competitors there is. Steinhorn won it last year. So, I mean, this is there's no outs. There's no easy outs here. So it's all becomes a matter of philosophical choices. And um, these people do this for a living. You got the HQ boys in there. It's, it's just, it's a fantastic group of people. And full disclosure, last year was my first year in labor. Uh, if you're not first, you're last. Uh, I had the first overall pick and I finished last. Everything I touched turned to crap last year. I had the Severino injury. I had uh, the Snell injury. I had everybody got hurt. Everything fell to crap. I had Mike Trout. And then in desperation, I ended up trying to deal Trout just so I could try to somehow make up some ground and, and not finish last. And it didn't matter because the guys that I got for Trout got hurt. So sometimes you eat the bear. Sometimes the bear eats you. And I need to make a better showing this year. And we'll be right back with more fantasy sports today, hour number two, if you're listening live or if you're listening on demand. This is FNTSY Radio, Craig Mish, Fantasy Sports. 